What's up, everybody? Had to get that out of the way. Um, yeah, thank you for that kind introduction, Wes. There's going to be yeah lots of confusion around me, you know, nationally ranked in foosball now. So, and the people listening on the podcast, I'm sure, will be like, "What is happening there?" So we'll just leave that up up to them to figure out. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. It's a true joy for me um, to, to, to stand here, to be with you. So many friends and, and family that are here, and um, it is an, an, an honor and a joy for me to be here. As, as was already mentioned, uh, my name is Britton. My wife is Brittany. Uh, we journeyed with you and your family here for around eight years together. Uh, and then within the past year or so, we've moved um, to Texas to be near our own family. Um, as, you know, as just kind of life moves in that way. And so, um, but it feels good to be here. It feels, it feels right. And in so many ways, it, it feels like just coming back home. And so a lot of that is because of you. And I'm, I'm thankful for that. I uh, flew into Salt Lake City yesterday. And as I flew into uh, to the valley, I was just enamored um, with the beauty uh, that is here. And I remember that, you know, flying in from time to time when I lived here, but it's so much different whenever I'm gone now. Like when you, when you come back uh, and you're confronted with the beauty, uh, for those of you who don't know right now, the colors are already popping. So if you haven't had a chance to go out, uh, now's the time to do that. But flying in, seeing the colors, uh, I think the people around me were like, what is up with this guy? It's like, this guy and all the kids that have like their, their faces peeled to the windows. Uh, I was just looking out and just enamored by the beauty. And it made me just think and wonder, like, why wasn't it like that when I lived here? You know, I, I lived here for like uh, almost a decade and complete. And, uh, and I didn't always look at the mountains that way. You know, I didn't always look at the mountains the way I did whenever I did yesterday. And I think the truth is that when we become familiar with things, sometimes familiarity, it does things to us. It does bad things to us. When we become familiar with things, uh, we tend to take them for granted. Uh, when we become familiar with things, we stop noticing them. We stop examining them. We stop celebrating them when we are familiar. And so this passage that we're going to read this morning, I mean, you've already seen it. It's incredibly short. Some of you are like, jackpot, baby. It's a short sermon week. Um, <laughs> we'll see about that. But, but uh, my prayer this morning is that, yes, like it's a short passage, but it's also an extremely familiar passage. Uh, my prayer for us is that the familiarity of this passage doesn't rob us of the splendor of it because it's, it's got so much truth. And so we've already prayed. I'm going to pray again. I'm going to ask the Spirit to, uh, just like the, the colors of the trees that they just pop right now, I pray that, that God's truth through this familiar passage would pop to us this morning. Let's, let's ask the Spirit for that. God, I'm so thankful for this family. I'm so thankful for this, this church God, I pray for them this morning. I, I pray that you would move and you would speak through your word. God, that it would not be me and my words that are shared, um, but Father, that your spirit would stir in the hearts of your people who you delight in through your word. And so God, would you call us to repentance this morning where we're not believing the truth of the gospel? Uh, would you show us, would you redirect our path and our steps that we would follow you, that we would follow the Spirit, where you're moving, where you're working. God, it's you that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so, so as Wes 
And Josh mentioned in the last couple of weeks, uh, we're in this really important scene here in the book of John. We're in this scene where the disciples and Jesus are still reclining at the table, and it's this deeply intimate moment. Um, and Jesus knows that this is it for him, right? He's winding down his ministry um, at this point. But yet the disciples, um, as often is, are, they're pretty clueless to what's going on. Uh, we've, we've already seen Judas has gotten up, has left the room, and is on his way to, um, to turn Jesus in, to betray Jesus. And now that he's gone, Jesus is here with his disciple, and he's kind of got this, this one moment to prepare them for what's next. Okay, so kind of have that in the back of your mind as, as the direction for this passage. That's what he's doing here. He's directing the disciples for what is next for them. And this is how he starts that direction. The first thing he says here in verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. At first glance, that seems like a strange thing to say um, to somebody who you've journeyed with for several years. And the commentaries tell us here that this, the Greek word for the word heart, all right, it's not your physical heart, but it's this word cardia, which can be translated um, to mean your soul. It's this, the same word that we use for cardiovascular, right? It's, it's the whole system at work there. It is the, the soul, the inner being. He's saying, don't let your soul be troubled, Look, any time that there's a, a church gathering like this, it's this really beautiful thing. Um, because in this room right now, as was already mentioned, is, is so many people coming from different backgrounds, from different pockets of the city, different life experiences, different stages of life. And yet here we are all together in this one room as one family, the family of God. And for some of you right now, um, your, your hearts are troubled this morning. Some of you, your hearts are troubled as I speak. Maybe they're, they're troubled about your finances right now, or maybe even a wayward child. As a parent myself, I understand it's like one of the most difficult things to have kids and to realize early on that you have no control over their life. You really don't. Maybe it's uh, troubled about the economy or uh, the job market or an upcoming election. Uh, and maybe your heart is not troubled right now. Maybe for you, you would say, my heart's not troubled because I've got things under control. Right? So maybe your heart's not troubled because it's been troubled in the past. And so now you're like, I'm not going to ever allow my heart, my soul to go back to that point. So I'm going to take control, right? I'm going to do everything that I can to ensure that I never go back to that place again. And so you're pretty secure right now because you're secure in something that you have built. The truth is, I would say that even you are troubled right now. And maybe things are going great right now. The promise of life is that we will run into trouble at some point. And so Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes on to say this, believe in God. Believe also in me. And other translations, depending on which one you have, some might say, trust in God. Trust also in me. So what's about to happen here with Judas and ultimately ending in the cross is, is pretty dark. I mean, we're about to take a dark turn here uh, in the passage. It's even demonic. And, and what's crazy about that is, is, is there's these demonic forces at play. There's these dark things that are going on. And yet, even behind those things, the hand of God is still sovereign. Even in the midst of this, like, nothing can thwart God's plan. Nothing can thwart it. Yet, 
The enemy is still working and lurking and trying to move behind the scenes. And so Jesus is on this collision course with the cross, and his death would be an act of obedience to God's will. And so I want you to think about that, because there's, there's something crazy about that truth, that even Jesus himself, God himself in the flesh, Jesus Christ, had to trust God. Right? No spoilers. But coming up in the Garden of Gethsemane is the perfect picture of that, where we see Jesus wrestling with this plan. And, and so he, even in that moment, has to trust God. And so he's telling his disciples, his followers, his friends, he's saying, trust in God. You can trust him, but trust also in me. And so the disciples were tasked with trusting God's plan when everything was unclear to them. So my question for us is, like, are we in a spot like that right now? Like, maybe you're there now. Maybe you've been there in the past. The truth is we will at some point be there where we're put in a situation where we're going to have to learn to trust God even when you can't see his reasoning, his plan. He's calling us to trust him. So as already mentioned, I have two-ish kids. All right, I have three, to be clear. I have three kids. And um, one thing that I've realized is as they get older is parenting is hard, specifically parenting a teenager. And so for those of you who are there now, I empathize with you. Uh, for those of you who are out the other side of that, like, I want to sit down and talk. Like, that's where I'm at right now. Parenting a teenager is hard because when the kids were little, I felt like I could be very direct with them and say, no, you can't do that. You can't touch that. And my kids are like, oh, okay, back up. But as my kids have gotten older, like as I have a teenager now, I feel the need that I have to explain everything with reason and logic. And what I find is that as I sit and explain things away, I become even more unclear than I was in my reasoning in the, in the, in the first place. I become even more unclear. I'm like, wait a second, so why, why did I tell you to do this? That's a great question, actually. And so things aren't getting done very well, yes. But one thing I've learned about parenting is that I'm not actually able to do that. I'm not actually able to, to always provide the perfect reason or the perfect explanation. At the end of the day, part of parenting and part of being a child is that you've got to trust your parents. That's what it comes down to. And I find myself using that all the time. You know what? I can't explain to you the reason why or the 10 reasons that you're wanting. I'm just asking you to trust me. And the same thing is true with the disciples here. Right? Jesus has journeyed with these guys for three years now, and they're to the point to where he's, he's discussed these things time and time again, uh, but now we're to the point where he's just saying, trust me. You're going to have to trust me. There's always a gap between what Jesus taught and what the disciples were actually picking up. And if you're a parent, you know that to be true. <laughs> There's a gap between what is being taught and what's actually being picked up. And where that gap is is where we have to trust so the disciples are, are having to trust, and their trust would be built on believing that, that Jesus actually is who he says he was. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 2. Verse 2 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
So, yeah, I've been a pastor for several years, and, and anytime I'm asked with, or tasked with doing a funeral for somebody, this is one of those go-to passages that we can go to. And it's incredibly solid for that because it, it really does provide hope for us in the midst of, in the face of death and uncertainty. Again, it's incredibly familiar. But we as a culture, like talking about death is a, a taboo topic, isn't it? Like, it's not something that, like, hey, let's go to lunch today after the gathering. Let's sit down and let's talk about death. Like, that's just not something that typically comes up for us in a discussion. Why? Because we hate talking about death. In our society, we, we not only try not to talk about death, but we actually almost pretend like it just doesn't exist. Or we, we try and, and cover it up and pretend like it's not going to happen uh, for us. And so we do this, I think, because we know, we recognize the fact that, that death is unnatural. Or we would say death is the most natural thing. But actually, if we look at the story of God, death is unnatural. Right? There was actually a time that existed where death did not exist. And that's in the creation story. If we remember back to the creation story in Genesis, we see that God created Adam and Eve. And he placed them in the garden, and he looks at them. And do you remember what he says? What does he say whenever he looks at his creation? Somebody know? Yeah. He looked at his creation and he said, this is good. God created Adam and Eve. He created the garden. He looked at them and said, this is, this is good. And it was good, right? Not only did he create them, but the garden itself was this beautiful place. Right? It, was, it was the perfect place where uh, the story says that they lacked nothing. There was nothing that they, Adam and Eve needed that they did not have in the garden. They had everything that they needed for life. However, we know what happens, right? Here comes the enemy, the liar, comes into the scene and convinces Adam and Eve of something. It's a tactic that I would say is still being used today by the enemy. You'll recognize it. He convinces Adam and Eve that things were not good. He convinces Adam and Eve not to trust God. And he convinces them to believe that somehow, like if they just had this other thing, then they would be set. Do you recognize that lie? I recognize that as so potent in my life. The enemy, I hear it all the time. Things are good. God has given me things that are good. And yet the, the lie that I hear is, well, it's not actually good. Like if I just had that other thing, then it would be good, right? If I had that car, it would be good. Or if I had more money in my account, then I would be good. Or if I could just move to this neighborhood where things are a little bit more uh, secure, then I would be good. Or if I just had this, or if I just had that. <clears throat> Sounds familiar, doesn't it? So he tricked Adam and Eve into believing that if they just had God's knowledge, he said, if you eat of this tree, if you eat this fruit, then you will be like God. Then you'll have what you need. And they believed him. They ate the fruit and boom, everything, it's over at that point, right? Here comes the curse. And what is the curse? The curse is that they lost their home. The place of security that they, were been, they had been given by God was now gone. They are ushered out of the garden, and now death enters the scene. Death enters the scene. And death has been a part of our world ever since that day, but yet we try and avoid it. Death is the ultimate enemy. 
It's the ultimate enemy. And ironically, the thing about death that's crazy is it's the only thing actually that's sure about our life. If we really sit down and and focus in on this and, and discuss this, that's what we would realize, that the only thing that's sure about our future on this world is that at some point we will die. But yeah, maybe you're prepared for everything else that you may not experience in the future, and the one thing that we are for sure going to experience, maybe we're, we're not even prepared for. So here's what I mean. For instance, right, if you live here in the valley, you've probably have heard this a time or two, like we've got to prepare for what? The, the big one. Everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say that. And don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should not prep for those things. I'm saying that, that we prep for these things, even though we don't know that it will happen. We're not sure that it will happen. But in our mind, we're like, well, it might happen. So it's worth preparing for. And I agree with that. In the same way, we, we prepare for our retirement, right? We start pulling out money. If you haven't started preparing for retirement, you definitely should start preparing for retirement, and then even after 2020, I think something happened in 2020 that like rewired our minds. So now it's like I can't roll my card down the aisle at Costco and see the toilet paper and be like, maybe I should just grab some more of that. You know what I mean? Because we don't know. The future's uncertain. What if there's another mega virus or another government shutdown that comes? It's like, sorry, kids, we're going to have to move you out of this room. You're all going to have to share a room now because we need this room for all of our toilet paper and water just in case. Another one. And that's what we do. We prepare for all sorts of things that we have no idea that will happen in the future or not. When the one thing that we know will happen is the one thing that many of us are unprepared for. And so what Jesus is doing with his disciples right here is he's preparing them. He's taking a moment to prepare them to face death. He's preparing them to face death. Look at what he says in verse 3. How does he do that? Probably not the way that I would do it, right? I would be like, grab this sword, right? Grab this gun, and let's go get them. Like, that's probably how, I'm from Texas now, so that's just kind of how we tackle things right? But Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I want you to be prepared for what's coming. So don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's an, that's an odd way to prepare somebody to face death. So that's what he says. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Before I begin to study this, I honestly never, um, I never connected these dots. But what Jesus is doing with this statement is he's actually bringing us back to the creation story. He's saying, as human beings, you need a place because you lost your place in the garden, because you lost your home and you're homeless. And so you need a place. And so I'm going to prepare a place for you. Look at how Jesus comforts these these friends of his. Don't let your hearts be troubled. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus knows that these guys are going to suffer incredible, horrible deaths. Every single one of them. And look, I know I'm so dark. I'm standing up here talking about this. But we can see this from church history. When we look at church history, we can see what happened to these followers of Jesus. And it wasn't, it wasn't all butterflies and rainbows. Right? It was dark. Jesus knows that these disciples of his, they're, 
going to be sawn in half. Okay, he knows that some of these men that are sitting at the table with him in this moment will be burned to death. Some of them will be impaled by sticks. Some of them will be tied behind animals and drug. Some of them will be um, sawn in half. That's, that's crazy. And so whatever he's going to do to bring comfort to the disciples here, like it better be pretty good, right? Because he knows what's about to happen with them. It better be pretty good. And, and my assumption is if, if this is good enough for the disciples, knowing what they were about to enter into after he leaves, it's actually also good enough for us. Like this truth that he's bringing to the disciples is good enough to comfort them and it's good enough to comfort us today. And so that's what he does. He says, I'm going and I'm going to have a place for you. So again, back to the great curse on Adam and Eve. Aside from death, the great punishment that they were given that day was that they became homeless. They were kicked out of the garden. Why is that so bad? Because the garden was their place of safety and security, right? They didn't have to worry. When they walked through the garden, they didn't have to worry if something was lurking behind a tree or a bush. They knew that they were safe. They were secure. They says they walked with God, they had the very presence of God with them in the garden. They had everything that they needed for life. But when they were kicked out, they lost their place of safety and security. And so us today, the same is true for us. We may not know this, but we actually live our lives trying to get back to the garden. We live our lives today trying to, to recreate the garden in our everyday life. Kind of like Bear Grylls. Like if you ever watch Bear Grylls, he can go out into the wilderness out here right now carrying nothing. And by evening time, he would be able to be like, oh, it's the sun's going down. I need to prepare a place for myself to sleep tonight. And he can just grab a couple of things around him and like make a tent. And I'm like looking at it. And I'm like, that seems nice. Like he makes that seem like, oh, like that seems like a pleasant experience. Like if I were to go do that, right, like I, I, would, I would die. I'll just tell you now. Like I would die. <laughs> But just like Bear Grylls, <clears throat> that's what we do. We live our lives like that. Like, let me just grab onto something that's around me, anything. Like, if this is in front of me, I'm going to grab it. And I'm going to try and find life in this thing. I'm going to try and find security in this thing. I'm going to try to find peace for my heart in this random thing that's sitting next to me. And I'm going to try and make a tent for myself, a covering for myself to protect me from the storms that I know are coming. And so what is it for you that you're looking to right now to find security and peace when your heart is troubled? What is it for you? This is somewhat shameful for me to, to share, but I'll share it anyways. Like I, I, living in, in Texas right now, I live in a town called Lubbock. We don't have a lot to do there pretty much at all. So the thing that we do is we support our hometown team, um, the, the Red Raiders. And so our tendency, my tendency every year is like, that's okay. This is going to be our year, right, Gabe? Gabe? Gabe's a Red Raider. He knows. This is going to be our year, like to where it's like when things are going south and the rest of my life, I'm like, well, at least, you know, I have the Red Raiders. But the problem is what happens when your team is one and three? You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, at least I have the Red Raider. No, I don't. I don't have them anymore. But what is it for you? Like maybe it's a nest egg, 
Maybe you have a nest egg, and so now you're looking around and you're like, oh, things are rough right now. My heart is really troubled. I feel um, at angst, but at least I have this nest egg. But what happens when the economy turns south and you no longer have the nest egg that you thought? Or you're, maybe you're even like, I'm going to, to build my safety and security in other people. And as long as I have other people around me, or we do this all the time in church culture, we do this with like leaders. As long as I have this leader here, or as long as I have that person, like I'm good, I'm set. But what happens when we don't have them? What happens when we don't have other people around us? What do we turn to then? And so the thing is, we're, we're all looking for a place of security but none of these places that we turn to are actually good enough. They can, none of them can compare to the home that we had in the garden. And so again, let's look at that. Like, why is that such a big deal? Why is this place that he's leaving to go prepare for us, why is that a thing? Why does that matter? I would actually make the argument that there's something so powerful about a place um, that we try and, and mimic it in our everyday lives. We try and recreate it. And we, um, if you just watch a commercial during the holiday season, you'll see that we try and bottle this thing up and sell it. It's called home. It's called home. We all have little signs around our house that talk about this very thing. See, a home is a place that, that you belong. It's a place where you're totally and fully accepted for who you are. You don't have to put up a false front. You don't have to pretend to be somebody else. You can be fully you and fully loved in your home. Home's a place where the sights and sounds and smells and colors all bring you joy, right? It's an open door that whenever you've been gone all day long and you just need a place to go, it's like, I just want to go home. I want to go home. It's a place where the door is open, where you're expected, uh, where you're always welcome. And when things are crazy, we can go home, we can lock the door, and we can find a bit of respite there. We can find just a bit of rest. And so Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that we needed a place. We needed a home. And so what he did was, was he comes, right? God comes in flesh through Jesus Christ. He sits across the table from these disciples of his, and he says, you're going to face the most incredible suffering. You're going to face terrible deaths, incredible troubles, but I have the solution for you. And that solution is that I go to prepare a place for you. That's what overcomes our troubles, right? The place that you belong to is not found in this world, but it's there. It's home. And so what Jesus is doing is foreshadowing the gospel, right? And that through the cross, which is literally around the corner in this, this passage, we're getting there. Through the cross, Jesus comes and he defeats death once and for all. And then he makes us right with the Father so that we can then be adopted into his family. All right, so look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 17. And this is how Paul says it with the church in Galatia there. I don't think that's the right verse, so maybe I, I misquoted it, but here's what I have. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Let me read that again. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is so upside down. This is so counterintuitive. What, what the disciples and, and the people of Israel thought they were getting in a Messiah. But Jesus comes into the world and he takes the homeless. He takes that onto himself. And on the cross, think of this, as Jesus died on the cross, first of all, he died the death that was meant for you and I. It should have been us. It's, we sing that song. It was my sin that held him there. It should have been us that was there. But Jesus came and he died on the cross. And when he was on the cross, the scripture even says that his father turned his back on his only son. The father turned his back. In that moment, Jesus experienced what it's like to, to be full of shame. That even his father turned away. He experienced what it's like to have nobody, to be naked, to be fully there in front of everybody, visibly, having no home, nobody to call his own, completely and utterly alone. He experienced that. Why? So that we could be adopted into the family, so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters, so that we could be um, brought back into a right relationship with God where we no longer are homeless and no longer are off on our own, no longer are naked, but now we are clothed. Now we have a home. We have a father. And so in that moment, those of us who put our hope in him were given the righteousness of Christ so that we could be free, free from sin and free from shame. And now we are invited back to the table with our Father who loves us. He has given you a home. He's given you a place to belong with Him forever. This is how death is defeated. And so let's wrap it up by just doing this. Like, how, what do we do about this? Right? That's the American way. We all want like, okay, give me the sermon. Now tell me the three things that I've got to do in light of the sermon. And I would actually say that the call to action here is not... It's probably, if, if that's you, you're probably going to leave feeling like, ugh, I wish I had something to do. But the call here is actually a call to repent and to believe. Martin Luther said that, that all of the Christian life is marked by repentance, right? Our, our thought is that, that maybe, oh, we repent one time and we believe the good news of the gospel and then we, we go and live the rest of our life. But Martin Luther is saying, no, all of our life is repentance, the same way that we are justified and made right by God is the same way that we are sanctified and made into his, whole, like into his image. And that's through repenting and believing the gospel every day. And so what do we do about it? We repent. Where have you been looking for a place that would provide security and peace in the midst of a troubled heart? So Jesus' call today is a bit different, right? He doesn't say, don't let your hearts be troubled, but go out and save for yourself a nice little nest egg so that when things get hairy, you'll be set. He doesn't say, hey, trust in God. Trust also in me. Because you follow me, you will never face any trials of any kind. He doesn't say that. In fact, he says the opposite of that. He says, because you follow me, you will face trials of many kind. And so his call to the disciples in this integral moment is, is not to prepare them to face death by 
the way that we would probably do that. His call is to believe, to trust. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. There's one thing that he's called us to do here, not to do more, but look at John chapter 6, verses 28 and 29. Then they said to him, the crowd said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What do we do, right? We all want to follow Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What do we do? And what did Jesus say? He said, the work of God, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Let me challenge you this morning to believe that. Let me challenge you this morning to to believe this truth. This is the call. It's, it's, it's to trust him. Why is that? Because belief precedes our action. Belief precedes our action. If we go out and we live lives into the world on mission, right, but not fully believing the good news of the gospel, then what we're doing is actually anti-gospel. Belief precedes our action. So how does that work in this scenario? Listen, if we truly find our security in the cross, if our security is found in the place that Jesus has for us, then we don't need, like, we don't need the approval of other people around us. If our security is found in him, we are freed to live lives not worrying about what others think of us. If we truly do have this home that is made for us, that, is gone, that Jesus has gone and prepared for us. Now we're free to actually live generously in this world. That we don't need the things of the world to satisfy us. They'll never satisfy us. We are freed up as believers to live generous lives because of this truth. And so the thing that precedes these actions is a call to belief. This morning, where is your heart trying to find safety and security. The band and the prayer team is going to come forward. And the call this morning is a call to believe. Like maybe you're here and you would say, uh, my entire life I have lived under my own power. I've lived my entire life trying to control um, everything, my future. My safety and security is found uh, only if, if I go out and find it myself. The call this morning is to believe. And if you're a Christian who's been journeying with Jesus for years, the call is the same for you. It's the exact same call to believe this morning, to repent and to believe. And so I just want us, as we, we're going to sing a few songs, I just want us to, to think about that. Like, where are we trying to find our hope, our peace, our security? What are we turning to? What are we looking to right now to find that? Let's repent of that, turn from that, and turn to Jesus and joyfully say, my hope, my, my, my peace, my security is found in you. There's joy to be had in that. There's joy to be had in that. So let's ask the Spirit to reveal to us where we're trusting in something other than Jesus. Um, God, thank you so much for seeing us God, I know this morning that that no matter where we come from, God, you see us. You see us. You love us. God, you sent us Jesus to, to prove that to us. Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the Father's will. Thank you for trusting in God, in his plan. 
Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for experiencing the shame of the cross so that we could experience what it means to be adopted as kids. Spirit, thank you for for going before us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would draw out of us this morning where our hearts are trying to find peace and joy and security and somewhere else, that God, that you would gently, that you would turn us back to you, that we would experience the the fruit of the Spirit, the, the, the love and joy and peace and patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, God, that we would experience the fruit of your work in our hearts, that we would be a people that are marked by that fruit, and that we would believe and that we would go out because of what you've done and because of this belief that it would stir us to go, to share the gospel, to live on mission, to live generously. So God, you alone can do this work in us. Father, would you work? In Jesus' name, amen.